A young man came home from school with a question for his mother. He said, Mother, you take me to church. And they told me at church that God created all things and that God created us in his image. And she said, yes, that's right. And he said, well, you sent me to school. And this week at school, my science teacher told me that we evolved from apes into uh, currently uh, our current human condition. And I want to know... uh, which is it? And she said, well, that is what they teach in school. And he said, yes. And he said, how can we be taught two different things? And she said, honey, don't worry about it. The school teacher's talking about your father's side of the family. (laughs) Families are funny things, aren't they? And today, as we continue our Loving Others, the Art of Welcoming Sermon Series. We're looking at how can we love our families. And families come in different shapes and sizes. Some of us have many people under one roof. Some of us is just us. Some of us, uh, all our relatives are blood relatives. Some of us, our family uh, wouldn't show up on our family tree, but they are just as much family nonetheless. There's a lady in my wife's family, uh, passed away a few years ago. I met her probably 25 years ago. Her name's Aunt Lois. And I I knew Aunt Lois for 15 years before I found out Aunt Lois wasn't a blood relative. She was a neighbor who became family. So family comes in, in all shapes and sizes. And as we think about loving our families today, I want to ask you to do something. Right now, if you have a piece of paper near you, get it. If you have something to write with, if you have a phone where you can type in notes, pull, pull that phone out, and I want you to write down the people closest to you, the people closest to you. Now, for some of us, this is a nuclear family. For some of us, it's an extended uh, group of friends that have become family. Uh, but write down the people closest to you that you would think of as family. Just take, take a moment. Uh, and jot those names down. They're going to be important parts of what we talk about today. And I would add, if you have family sitting beside you in the pew, make sure they're on the list. <laughs> that, that's going to help with what we're talking about today. If they, make, if they notice their names on your list. So as you keep jotting down those names, I I want to, after you get done jotting those down, uh, you can put that away from just a moment and then we'll we'll come back to it. But, But make sure you take your time and you finish. You know, an interesting thing happened years ago when Mother Teresa was engaged in her ministry in Calcutta. People would seek to contact her from all over the world just for the chance to come and spend a week there engaged in the ministry, seeing what happened of this little lady who began this incredible order of nuns that reached out and just made sure that the sick and the poor and those who were dying did so with dignity and with love. And people would would come from all over and they would see what was done there and they would engage in that type of ministry for a week And then they'd know that when they went back home, they wouldn't have the same opportunity. They they said, you know, we're we're doing something here that feels so important, that helps us feel so close to God. But what can we do 
since we can't move here, since we can't all immigrate here and be a part of this here, and you may remember her famous quote, Mother Teresa said, if you want to bring happiness to the whole world, go home and love your family. That, that's, that's the first step if you want to bring happiness to the whole world. And I think all of us would affirm that, and I think all of us would say it's not always easy. It's not always easy. We need God's help. We need to learn from God who has brought us into God's family if we are going to be able to fully love our families. So I hope you will start each day reaching out to God, asking for God's help in this endeavor, because there are times when it's so easy to love your family, and there are times when it's so difficult. So I hope you'll be a part of our daily Bible reading plan, concordunited.org slash Bible, or pick one up at the Information Center. Subscribe to the daily devotions on email or podcast, and start your day allowing God to help prepare you to love your family that day. Now, God tells us in 1 Corinthians, Paul's, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, what love looks like in these wonderful words that were first shared for what the love of those in the body of Christ should look like for each other, and also applied to what love within marriages and families should be. We're picking up with verse 4 of chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Just like family never ends, love never ends. It keeps going. Over time, it might look different. What it means to be patient at one time in life might be different from what it means another. What it means to be kind might look differently, but love never ends. It keeps going, and it, it's what holds our families together. And we see that God has given us family as both a gift and a responsibility. The Bible tells us uh, that uh, those who do not take care of their families are out of line with God's intention multiple times. It doesn't say uh, those who take care of their families when their families are behaving appropriately. You know, it says we're to take care of our families at all times. And we need that because it is a gift. It is a, it is a gift. They're the ones who knew us when we came into the world They'll be the ones gathered around us uh, when we leave this world. Uh, they're, they're the ones who don't leave us. They're the ones we don't leave, though we move to new towns and sometimes uh, friendships are lost in the travel, uh, family isn't. And so it's this amazing gift that God has given us, this gift that when a parent looks into the eyes of a newborn child, that parent finds a depth of love and a willingness to sacrifice that often they hadn't imagined was even possible. And when a grandparent looks into the eyes of a grandchild, that grandparent sees a joy and a beauty uh, that maybe no one else on earth can appreciate to the, to the same degree. God gives us family as a gift and as a responsibility. 
a responsibility to love, uh, a responsibility uh, often to forgive, a responsibility to, to stay with. And yet, this isn't always easy. Uh, and to stay with family isn't always possible in the same degrees in different situations. Uh, what we find currently is some of the biggest stresses on families, you might not be surprised, come from, from disagreements. Uh, people see things differently. Generations see things differently. When you, if, when you were growing up, if the biggest event that you remember uh, going on in the world uh, was the bombing of Pearl Harbor, that's going to shape you in a certain way. If when you were growing up, the biggest event you remember was the assassination of President Kennedy, that's going to shape you in a certain way. If it was uh, the tragedy of the Challenger space shuttle, that shapes you. If it was 9-11, it shapes you. If you grew up in a time uh, when there was easy access to higher education, plentiful jobs, and affordable mortgages, that shapes you in a certain way for how you look at the world and what's responsible ways to live. And if you grew up at a time when higher education was unaffordable, it, when it was not possible to get into the housing market and more difficult to have enough financial resources to start a family, that's going to shape you in a certain way. And if you've been shaped in these ways, there are going to be times when you see the world differently and you disagree with each other. And we all know that in families, there are going to be disagreements. My mother's father was a strong Republican, and he voted Republican in every election. And he would sit at the dinner table, and he would articulate all the many reasons you should vote Republican. And he never knew he went to his grave with his wife having canceled out every one of his votes. There are disagreements in, in, fa in families. What we don't want to make the mistake of thinking is that disagreement is the same thing as disregard. Disagreement is not the same thing as disregard. And in our culture today, our culture is beginning to teach us that those who disagree with us are our enemies, that those who disagree with us are evil, that those who disagree with us should be canceled and we shouldn't have anything to do with them. And we're actually finding more estrangements in families today in our country over disagreements that in previous generations would have remained disagreements but would have never caused estrangements. Because we've, we're being taught to see disagreement as disregard. Disagreement is what it means to be human. Di disregard is what it means when we turn away from God's will. Disregard is what it means when we fail to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. There might even be people in your life who for reasons of abuse that has gone on previously, you're not able to be around because it's not healthy to be around. That's okay. Sometimes boundaries have to be set. But even to those people, we do not disregard them. We do not stop loving them. We do not stop praying for them. We're just not always able to be around them in the same ways that perhaps we wish we could. 
I want you to ask yourself today, have I mistaken disagreement for disregard? Are there people in, in my family uh, that I need to move back closer to in relationship because I've made this fault, faulty distinction? And when I was talking a few years ago to a family counselor, and I was asking them, how do we navigate families? How do we navigate families when families are difficult to navigate? And you may notice that when we're talking about loving our family, uh, this sermon is going to talk about a lot, a lot more about the difficulties. That's because y'all are good at the, at the good times. I know you're good. I watch you on Facebook. I don't post a lot, but I watch. And I see you're celebrating the good times. We're doing good in the good times. How can we love each other when it's not easy to love? Oh, what this counselor told me has always stuck with me. He said, Will, what you try to do in families is always try to maximize connections while minimizing harm. In families, we want to be as close to someone as we can possibly be without causing harm to either of us. Again, because of certain relationship dynamics, certain things that have gone on in the past, there are times in families where we're not able to be as close as we wish we could, but we say, how close can I be? How close can I be to this person and still be mentally and spiritually healthy myself? How close can I be to this person while still respecting their needs for spiritual and mental health? If we have to cut off at all, we want to say, what's the least amount I can step back and still be healthy. And I learned this in a beautiful way this week. I learned it in the story of the family of a member of our church who's recently gone home to glory. Many, many of you know her. Uh, her name is Pinky Jeanette. Uh, Pinky passed away just before Christmas, and it was only this week that we had her services. She was a faithful, generous member of this church and of the Friendship Sunday School class. She and her husband, John, had been faithful Methodists for, throughout their life. Uh, in their church participation, they were shining examples of what it means to be faithful. And yet, I learned something of her family story, a, a challenge, a big challenge that was overcome in a beautiful way. I never had the pleasure of knowing Pinky's husband, John. I only knew of him because even though he'd been gone for a decade by the time I met Pinky, she introduced herself to me as Pinky Jeanette, John's wife. And the first time I had the chance to have an extended visit with her, she shared with me about John's life, about all he did for the churches and communities he was a part of, about how much he loved his kids and his grandkids. But I didn't know the backstory. And recently I learned the backstory that he didn't start out as a wonderful father. And I asked the family if I could share the story. And I said, I don't intend to share names because of the way it begins. And they said, no, no, you, we would be honored if you'd share the story and we want you to share the names because the names show that this really happened. And John would be proud of what God did in the midst of our family. He would not want it to be hidden. So they gave me permission to share 
They gave me permission to share about how in his early years, due to a divorce uh, with their birth mother, uh, he wasn't very present at all in their lives. And he had the opportunity to make efforts to be present and to support them financially that, that he didn't make. And it was later in life that he began to realize what he'd done. He began to seek reconciliation. And it was actually at a Promise Keepers event, uh, that was spiritual revivals for men that, that took place a few decades ago in our country, that he had a reckoning with God. And from that point forward, things were very different. Reconciliation took place. This man who uh, wasn't a great dad in the early years of his kid's life became the world's best granddad. I want to share this with you in the words written by his daughter, Robin Porter. Many of you may not know that I did not grow up with my father living in my home. My life contained an empty space during that time that only a father could fill for a child. I was an adult before I truly came to know him. It was then through lives changed by Jesus Christ that we managed to sew together the gap those years pulled apart. Daddy made up in quick haste those years of absence in a way that changed my life so profoundly that to this day he is so dear to me, I seldom think back on what he didn't do, but moreover what he did do. What he did do was fall before God and cry out with all that burdened his heart. The realization of the wasted years he had been carrying like a boulder on his back broke him and brought him to a place of transformation. Daddy knew what we all know once we know better. His eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit at a time known only to him, and he responded. He never looked back as far as I could tell. He then set about proving to us his love was solid and trustworthy. And I should say here, it's not that I believe Daddy didn't love my brothers, sisters, and me when we were children. I think he just hadn't understood the importance of day in and day out commitment in a father's love for his children, despite what happens between their parents. I spent a lot of years angry with him for this because I thought he should have instinctively known it. It was easier to forgive him once I became an adult and understood the complexities of relationships and missteps we all make and when he was living proof of a life changed. Daddy loved so big and full in those remaining years that I often forgot he had once felt so far from me. He loved all his grandchildren with such an unconditional full-on love that we, his children, were healed by it. And the grandchildren loved Papa Jack with a trusting and affectionate love, only gained from children when they feel safe, comfortable, seen, heard, and welcome. He was playful, warm, generous. What I'm most proud of about my dad are not his professional accomplishments, though he had that, but how he finished strong with his family after a rough start. I never think back on his life without thanking God for the blessings of grace and forgiveness and this lesson of redeeming the wasted years lived out for me by my daddy. If only we could all humble ourselves and offer this to each other, imagine the healing this world would know. Daddy truly wished us well. His thoughts were only for us and to know how much he loved us, never that we should love him more. No, he always gave himself with true charity, which expects nothing in return as was most keenly demonstrated uh, on the day he died in a car accident as a volunteer transporting a child to Children's Hospital.
that he hoped to reflect Christ's love for us as he had known it for himself. He prayed for our success and happiness and encouraged us to pursue our endeavors. One can take on many challenges and lofty dreams that lack with that sort of solid backing. We knew he was always in our corner, even if he did not agree with our path because he trusted God. He was able to let us find our own way. And we did. She talks there about the wasted years. You might remember the famous passage from the book of Joel, where God says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. I will restore to you the locust, which comes in in that part of the world and would eat up all the crops and destroy the harvest. God says, I will restore the years that the locust has eaten. And when Robin was putting together these reflections for her father, uh, she looked and uh, she saw reflections on this passage written uh, by the famous Christian preacher, Charles Spurgeon in 1886, words that are just as true for us today as then. He says, lost years can never be restored literally. Time once passed is gone forever. So the meaning of the restoration of the years must be the restoration of those fruits of the harvest that were consumed. You cannot have back your time, but there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruits over which you mourned. God alone can do for you what seems impossible. He yet can make it complete and blessed and useful. It is a great wonder what this God can do, but in his kingdom of grace, Miracles are common things. Miracles are common things. This is what can happen when we reckon with God and when we ask God to help us fully love our families. And it might not be as dramatic an event as this. I fully remember the day as a 15-year-old kid with a 17-year-old sister who was only going to be in the house for nine more months before she left for college, realizing after a time of prayer with God by my bedside that for 15 years, I had been a jerk and I needed to be different for the next nine months. God can encounter you in whatever seasons you are in life, whether it's the normal stresses and strains of family life and sibling rivalries, uh, whether it's the inevitable conflicts within marriages or the disagreements among generations within families, God is greater than all of that. And what matters is that we go to God and we say, God, how can I love? I can't force another person to do something. I can't force someone to reconcile with me who doesn't want to. I can't force someone who's unhealthy to relate to me in a healthy way, but I can relate to them with the love that God has shown me. And in the end, how we do this, in the end, our, intentional, our intentionality becomes our reality. When it comes to love, your intentional, intentionality will become your reality. What I mean by this is, have you ever thought about someone and you've thought, I should reach out to them. And uh, then you thought, I should do something nice for them. They would love this. And then you thought, I'm busy. And you didn't. And when you saw them, you realized, you felt a connection because you had thought about them. And uh, you, they had been on your mind and in your heart, but they didn't feel a connection. 
because you never showed it. Because the intentionality of your life did not reflect the reality of your heart. And so the only reality that they knew was a different one, intentionality. That's what I want us to do today. So here's the question I want you to ask. I want you to pull out that phone or that sheet of paper where you wrote down the names of those closest to you. I want you to ask this. What's one thing you can do this week to bless those people closest to you? What's one thing you can do this week? I want you to write it down if you can think of it. Some of you may need more time. Some of you, you may know exactly. And all it takes is intentionality. I can tell you, it doesn't take a superhuman effort. I know my wife's favorite meal. It takes 10 minutes to get one special ingredient at the grocery store. It takes 30 extra minutes to prepare. I probably prepare it once every two years because of intentionality, right? Because it takes intentionality and you have to be intentional or even things that are easy to do to bless somebody don't get done. So would, would you write those down What are you going to do this week to bless those closest to you? And let's pray that God would guide and lead us in that endeavor. Gracious Lord, we can no more pray perfectly to you than we can love perfectly those around us. But we believe that our efforts at prayer are indeed pleasing to you. And we believe that our efforts at love do indeed bring joy to your heart. So we ask you to send your Holy Spirit. Let it descend on those of us here and now. Show us how to love those closest to us that our families might go out into this world and love all your people. Show us how to love our next door neighbors down the hall as well as across the street. Show us how to love our spouses, how to love our children, our grandchildren, our aunts, our uncles, our nieces, our nephews, our cousins. Show us, Lord, how to love our family because you have brought us into your family. Once we were not a people, now we are a people. Once we were alone, uh, now uh, we have a family because you have grafted us in. You have adopted us. Through your grace, you have brought us into this family that we know as the body of Christ, the royal family of the king of creation. Oh, Lord, in your wisdom, in your mercy, in your power, in your love. Show us how to love our families as you have loved us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.